So Exodus 25, picking up where we left off. <laughs> so where we left off, Moses is being called uh, into the cloud um, to uh, be in the presence of the Lord. Um, Joshua uh, was uh, just standing a little further back. Uh, the 70 elders were a little further back than Joshua, and everybody else is like, get us away from here, we're scared, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, so that's where we find ourselves. Uh, and uh, Moses has left uh, the children of Israel in the care of his brother Aaron and uh, and her, uh, which we discussed last week, ends up uh, ending in absolute. It, it goes like as bad as it could have, right? You know, when you when you think when you uh, uh, you you know either when, when you were a teenager and your parents would leave you there and and uh, um, it. Uh, your parents are going, I hope the house doesn't burn down or, you know, when, you know, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. Like the worst thing that could happen happened. And, uh, essentially the people, uh, convince, uh, Aaron and her to, uh, we'll see this. This is very much a fast forward for us, but, uh, to help them and, and, and to lead them into idolatry. And, uh, so it goes as bad as it could spiritually, uh, while Moses was having, um, an experience of a lifetime and an eternity, uh, you know, with the Lord. You know, that's a, it's quite a, a quite a thing uh, that Moses was experiencing. Um, and you know, when he comes down, he finds out that everything had gone wrong. So, uh, but uh, but where, for the purpose of our study, uh, Moses has been uh, called uh, near by the Lord, and and that's where we left off. So now we see God informing Moses. Of uh, how uh, we had, we had just looked at how to how to lead them in worship and um, and uh, well and how to live their lives. Now it's going into uh, what does worship look like uh, and how do we do this? What's what's it going to look like as they're in the wilderness? Uh, so the Moses is is going to be informed by the Lord of uh, what it means uh, to worship God, what it looks like, um, how they can actually be a part of this. And uh, you know what God requires, and uh, what He wants uh, for offerings, and uh, and how He wants offerings to be brought to Him, which is uh, my favorite part of what we're uh, about to study here. Um, I will say that uh, as a as a pastor, uh, my most uh, probably one of my least comfortable things to talk about are is giving. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, no, but I have to get over myself. Uh, it's something that I have to. It's in the word. We have to discuss it. Um, but giving is is something that happens between an individual and the Lord, and uh, unfortunately has been so perverted, so abused by many in the church that it makes people uncomfortable and very skeptical. Um, but I love talking about this type of giving. This is an awesome. Uh, in, in, in what it builds up to in Exodus 36, oh, there's the, I mean, he's going to bless our, our socks off to get there. We've got a little ways to go. So I encourage you to read ahead, uh, not tonight, but, uh, not right now, but you can do it when you get home, but, uh, but not right now, but, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing here. So 
what we'll see here is that when we couple the instructions that Moses received with other scriptures and what we're going to learn here, uh, that uh, when the Lord calls Moses here, uh, he's explaining to him that he wants him to build a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, a, a, a portable uh, place for the glory of the Lord to dwell uh, while they're uh, wandering in the wilderness. So uh, it's a tent, the tabernacle, it's the tent of meeting. Um, so it's, it's uh, quite, a, uh, quite a powerful thing to, for us to, to consider. However, the next few chapters aren't really exciting. <laughs> you know, when you start looking at, okay, you're going to mold it this way and everything. There are some awesome nuggets within it, though, uh, that we're going to see as we, as we progress through. Uh, but what we're going to see that uh, Moses uh, is going to be actually shown a, an example that uh, the Lord wants him to follow as he is uh, receiving the instructions of how this tabernacle was to be built. And Moses is going to receive the measurements, uh, the colors, uh, everything that has to do, very minute details of how things are supposed to be uh, shaped and engraved. Uh, it's it's quite a quite a process. It's 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 pretty neat uh, to look through. But sometimes we might we might just go, oh my goodness! You ever been reading through genealogies? <laughs> so and so begot so and so. So and I find myself going, okay, do I recognize this name? Okay, probably just here for record. God put it there for a reason. On a Tuesday in 2023, I'm sure you know the, I I may not get as much out of it as maybe somebody from. Uh, Israel, uh, when they're going through and going, wait a minute, that person's there. So uh, sometimes we don't understand uh, the Bible wasn't just written for us, right? So we can get to that point like, oh, you know, but uh, essentially the Lord has everything written down for a reason. So uh, when we understand when the Lord is giving him verbal instruction that Moses saw something, there was something that he saw. Uh, and I'm good, we're going to look into a few references uh, regarding the, the fact that he saw something. Verse 40 of this very chapter says, Make them according to their pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Okay? Now you don't need to turn to these because I'm going to be bouncing around. I've got five or six other um, references to share. So I don't want to like blow through it and you're like, Hey, I can't catch up. I'm going to say them. They're going to be up on here. and You can write them down if you want. But Exodus 26.30, And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. Chapter 27, verse 8 says, You shall make it hollow with boards, and it shall be, in, in, uh, sorry, as it was shown to you uh, on the mountain, so shall they make it. Numbers 8, verse 4 says, Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold for uh, from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. Acts chapter 7 verse 44 says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witnesses in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. And lastly, Hebrews 8 verses 4 and 5 says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve and cop, uh, serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make 
all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So the 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 tabernacle itself is a a a is a representation of a heavenly tabernacle. So uh, it, it's a, it's quite a thing for us to go through and understand what uh, what we're uh, considering as we're going through. There's there's so much detail uh, given regarding the tabernacle. Uh, that uh, regarding the detail in the tabernacle uh, throughout the scripture, uh, we're not going to find anything that's more detailed than the details that we're going to get through. So very um, uh, to the point, very down to the very letter, to this, to that, and I want it to look like this, and this side looks like this. It's because the Lord has uh, plans and God is the boss. Excuse me, he gets to determine uh, what is uh, being uh made and, and why and how. So <clears throat> verse one says, so Moses is now, uh, has, has gone into uh, the presence of the Lord here. And uh, these first uh, nine verses, uh, we're going to look at the Lord explaining offerings for the sanctuary. You also see very similar uh, wording in Exodus 35. So uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take an offering. And this is the offering which you shall take uh, from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of it, all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So very uh, distinct uh, instructions are now starting here. And so the Lord starts in, in verse 1. Uh, he's speaking to Moses and he tells him to speak to the children of Israel um, that they uh, bring me an, an offering. So uh, the children of Israel uh, were to give of themselves. You know, when we consider what's being mentioned here, the Lord is saying that they may bring an offering to him. You know, what are biblical ways of giving? What, what does it mean to give? Uh, when we, when we, I think our mind automatically goes to money being put into a box or into a plate uh, or uh, however it might be that, or <laughs> now in today's world, you can get on your phone and zip, 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 hit a button, send, and, and uh, people give that way. Uh, but what the Lord is calling them to give are material possessions. Uh, so when you consider uh, what what is being mentioned here, it's it is it is possessions, money, materials, and you can think of it as tithes or offerings, and those are two different things. Uh, you have your tithes, your ten percent, and uh, your offerings, ten uh, percent of your income, and then um, the offerings, and those would be other things that the Lord has laid on our heart to give or to do. Right? We can we can offer of ourselves uh, to make an offering. Uh, it might be time and efforts. It might be those uh, types of things. Now, considering giving, uh, 
the most important thing uh, that I see here, and not that any of it is uh, of less importance or anything, but when we consider uh, for this uh, the purpose of what I'm talking about here, the second half of verse 2 says, uh, From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take an offering, uh, my offering. For everyone who does it willingly with their hearts. I'm not going to now have somebody grab plates and buckets or baskets and start passing them around the church saying, all right, guys, who's willingly going to give, right? Right. Now, we've heard of those stories, right? We've heard of people saying, oh, you know what? I was in church once and we passed the offering plate three times. You know, are they giving willingly or are they giving because they're being forced to do so, shamed into doing so, right? God doesn't want anything to do with that. Never did. No, he doesn't. You know, what, what does God say? From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. Could God, at this point, after the demonstration of his power, demand it from the people? Absolutely. Right? They're like, yeah, I don't want to get struck by boils or, you know, I don't want to have flies come into my home. And, you know, all those things. They could look at all the plagues that were poured out on Israel. Uh, sorry, on, on Egypt. And uh, all the, the, the massive defeat of Egypt. Um, they, there, there's so many things that they could look back on and go, yeah, whatever he says we're going to do. But God sets the standard for giving here. And he says, those who will give willingly with his heart. That right there is the key. So, uh, unfortunately, even with that, even something like that would be, well, if you're not giving willingly, where's your heart? And there'll be, there'll be weird plays on that. And, and that's not what giving to the Lord is all about. God, God doesn't want us. Like, would you be blessed by somebody saying, yeah, Merry Christmas, <laughs> right? They give you the present. They're like, just because I had to, you bought me a present, so now I had to buy you a present, right? Like, oh, man, I'm so blessed you thought of me, right? <laughs> right? That's not how it is. It's, it's the blessing like, you thought of me? You know, it's just that there, there's we're, we're more blessed by that. Right. Consider what the scripture says in Second Corinthians, chapter nine, verses six and seven. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. One that would give willingly, give cheerfully, right? Out of my heart. When we look at our lives and go, God has blessed me, I'm going to give back to the Lord. I'm going to serve him with what he's given me. me and, and show that what he's given me isn't what gives me the fulfillment. He gives me the fulfillment in my life. And I will give whatever he uh, has given to me back to him, you know, a portion of it to bless him. Yeah, that that's what giving is about. That's the cheerfulness in giving. It's not it's not the oh I got somebody staring at me as a plate is passing by or someone standing at the you know the offering box like you know they're if the official waiting uh, I haven't seen you yet you check check marks right there's no check next to your name right <clears throat> no the Lord is saying who gives it willingly with his heart. Now, considering giving, giving is a necessity in our life. It really is. Um, and uh, when we consider the fact that God calls us to give. 
Now, there's there's argument regarding uh, tithing. Uh, people will look at the New Testament and go, I don't see the word tithing in there. Okay, well, if you look at what uh, Paul was was saying to the churches, is you know, I'm very blessed by the gift that you gave me. Uh, and in those things, it's taking care of those that are taking care of, uh, you know, the, the things of God taking care. The, the, the church, the building itself has to be paid for. Guys, please understand. I'm just saying these are facts. This isn't me trying to convince anybody. You guys know me well enough. But but right. I mean, the 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 the. the it's not like I, you know, walk out to the mailbox and like, all right, Lord, just magically just throws in enough money in there. No, he stirs the hearts of believers that we would all partake in the act of worship in giving. That's what it is. It's an act of worship. OK, so uh, when we when we consider, you know, that act of worship that we're called to do now, the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And uh, the Lord addresses giving in the last book of the Old Testament. So if you got somebody that's staunch, like, ah, ah, I don't see it here. Okay, how about the last book in the Old Testament, bud, right? Because what it is is I, I, what I've heard uh, and what I've gathered uh, from people that have that is they have a great uh, love of money. And money has become a god in their life. So they're saying, well, I can't let this go, right? And because if we're holding on to anything, money, time, Talents, we're holding on to anything and we're making it more important than the Lord. Guess what's become our God, right? So uh, Malachi, the Lord is addressing tithing in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? The Lord's response is, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. And try me now in this. This is a, a challenge from the Lord uh, to the children of Israel uh, through the prophet uh, Malachi. Says, uh, the Lord God of, uh, the, says the Lord of hosts, If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine uh, fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, for the Lord uh, says the Lord of hosts. Now that scripture uh, by itself can be used and abused by pastors. They can look and go, see, you give and you get blessed. You mail in a thousand dollars to us, and and you better wait because the storehouses are going to be opened up, and you're not going to be able to contain all those that money that's that's coming in. Or hey, you can buy this prayer cloth. Right? You got all these things, and what they're saying is you give, and God, God's going to give. No, giving is an act of worship where we say, God, I'm giving this to you. And what God is saying is, is, is if your heart is in the right place and you're giving, watch how I'm going to bless your life. Right? What, and, and what does he say here? Uh, you know, when, when, we, uh, when we look at it, he says, uh, if I, uh, he goes, um, and try me now on this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes that he may not destroy the fruit of your ground. So nobody's going to mess with your stuff, uh, nor shall the vine fail 
to bear fruit uh, for you in the field. What God is saying is, I'm going to sustain. The, your fields are going to be plentiful. You know, your your farmland's going to be blessed. He's telling this to the the nation of Israel, right? This is what he's saying to them. Because it, then he goes on to say, uh, and all the nations will call you blessed, uh, for you will you, uh, you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Everybody's going to see the blessings you have. As a result, like the math doesn't make sense, does it? The math doesn't make sense. You pour out, and then God blesses you on the back end of it, right? That's that's the the wonderful blessing of the Lord. He's blessing uh, the obedience. So when we consider what's being said here, uh, the Lord challenges those to give. Like I said, not a comfortable thing for me uh, out, out, outwardly uh, just to come out and say, but it's not something. It's it. This isn't crazy stuff. This is just the Lord saying, hey. Uh, you know, be obedient and and uh, don't be so tied to uh, to money. Don't be so tied to time, possessions, whatever it is. Understand uh, that he gives us it, it all anyways. So uh, when we consider what's said in Malachi, you know, there's the challenge uh, to bless and serve the, cre uh, the creator rather than the, the created. Right. When we look at all of creation around us, um, it would be better for us to bless him and serve him. I know we don't give to receive, but God uh, does uh, fulfill as we obey him. It's a wonderful thing. We pour out and God fills. Um, but it's not like God's chained to it. You know, he just says, hey, as you as you give, you're going to be blessed. And one thing that I've noticed in my life is as I've honored him and, and you're just like, you know what, this I, I, I don't know. I, I've just got to trust him. And you give and then in comes the check that you weren't expecting, right? Uh, in comes, uh, you know, this or, oh, hey, this was already paid off. I thought we still had, you know, uh, a payment on that or or whatever it is, you know, uh, or you get the phone call saying, hey, I know you've been faithful to payments. This has happened to me in my life. You've been faithful to payments. Uh, it, it's it's paid for. Um, and I was just, what? <laughs> How does that happen? It, it's just God, God blessing. They weren't, uh, you know, you know, when you consider what we're what the Lord is addressing is they weren't giving as they ought. You know, how were the ministers to be taken care of? Right. Because if you consider the Levites, the Levites didn't inherit their own land. They were spread out throughout the land of Israel, but they didn't have their own property. They were provided for by the by the gifts that were offered to the Lord by the tithes and offerings. That's how the Levites were taken care of. So when you consider if they're robbing God by not doing that, they're not taking care of those that are ministering to and for them. So it's a, it's a uh, wonderful thing here that the Lord is is addressing, and you know God has to bless us in in, uh, in much better ways than we could ever uh, expect. So I love here when uh, when we consider what we're looking at here in verse two. It says, "Who gives it willingly with his heart." So who gets to give? Everyone who does it willingly with their heart. Willingly, not out of obligation. And how do they do it? With their heart. You know, worship. We're, we're called to worship God in, in spirit and in truth, right? So in our innermost being, that, that if, if we have that, that obedience happening within our souls, that's a, a blessing to the Lord. And what is giving? It's an outward expression of our worship. You know, that, that's essentially what it is. Uh, and I love that the, that the Lord tells us to give secretly, uh, that, that God tells us, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. 
Because you think about that, like, okay, I got to trick myself. Is it, is it like, God's not telling us to be like, okay, I got a bucket full of money there. I'm going to take my left hand and my, 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 uh, I got to hit, put it behind my back. And my right hand's going to do this. And this, like, these things are, are extensions, right? These are just extremities. What Jesus was saying is, is give so that it would be like we could, we could convince our left hand and right hand that they don't know what each other are doing because we're doing so much uh, for God and, and we're doing it secretly, right? Um, what he's saying is, is don't seek uh, to be uh, give. So what we're what I'm saying is, is I'm not going to be. Uh, we're not going to be like next week. I'm not going to go. Hey, if you want your name on the back of the chairs, you know, you can get a big plaque if you give more. If you're in the five thousand dollar club, right? You know, uh, then then you know you you get the whole row or something like that, right? Because then there's a there's a remembrance of what happened, guys. These chairs were donated. Somebody paid for these chairs, and, and name never mentioned. Right, the name will never be mentioned from here. That was years and years ago. I wasn't even the pastor at that point. But somebody just said, "Church needs chairs. I want to buy chairs for the church." They didn't say, "What's that?" Right, <laughs> right, right. So she's saying, "Well, that's that's Sarah's chair right there, right?" And she's saying, "You know, she doesn't have to buy it. She, you know, we we didn't engrave anybody's name in here. Notice the buildings, the charity. You know, like you look and it's the whatever building, right? That's their reward." That's the reward. But when God says, you know, give, uh, you know, consider how, how giving works, right? In God's economy, you know, the, the, the widow with the two mites gave more than everybody else with all the trumpets and all the pomp and circumstances around there. It's not a monetary gift. It's what's happening in our heart. You know, what is God doing in our hearts? That's what God is concerned with. Because we can't go to the Lord with a ledger and be like, see, Lord, I've given you know, he's going to go, you did? How much of that was like willingly and lovingly and, and out of out of gratitude, right? You're like, oh, this somehow just got all erased, <laughs> right? The ledger is gone, you know? And so the Lord, what does God want? He wants a willing heart uh, to give, to take no glory uh, for any recognition. And uh, from willing hearts here, and uh, they are, are being commanded to, 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 to build something according to the very guidelines that they were to follow here. And, you know, both the tabernacle and all its furnishings. And, and what's amazing here is this is God inviting the people to be a part of what's happening. Isn't that, like, amazing to think of? Consider that. You know, consider our past life when we weren't walking with the Lord. And now we see the Lord actually doing things in our lives where he's like, no, really, I want to include you in what's happening here. Where God would invite people, like when, when you look, look back, and you can look at, you know, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, you can look at some of the lists of sinners, right? And go, man, I didn't know I had, I had this many when I go back on it. And I'm like, you know, have you ever had those things uh, pop up? I've seen them on uh, social media before. They're like, okay, how many points do you get, right? And what they say is, have you ever uh, stolen something? Have you ever ran a stop sign? Have you ever? And it's like a, it's like a, a thing to, to see, okay, how many points do you, do you really get? You know, have you done this? Have you gone to a foreign country? Like all those things. When you can look at that and you're going, oh my goodness, these people won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then you find comfort in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, as of such were some of you, <laughs> right? We're like our, our old life and we can look at everything that's listed there, right? 
Just all those things to be junk and, and then realize that God has washed all those things away. Now we're new creations in him. And not only do we get to be redeemed and understand that our sins have been washed away and that they've been cast away as far as the east is from the west, right? That, that they'll never catch up to us, right? We're never there. It's, it's just going to be one of those things like my dog trying to catch his tail, right? But it's, it's, it's never going to catch. Uh, the sin's never going to catch up to us, right? It just It's a continual thing. As far as east is from the west. You can keep going east. You can keep going east. You know, just keep going. You're never going to find them. All right. And then we understand when we look at who we are and then and then we see, oh, God's inviting me to do something. He wants me to be a part of ministry, he wants me to be a part of something that he's doing. Oh, man, that's so powerful. God is inviting them to be a part. That God is specifically saying he only wants to receive from people that are doing it from a willing heart. Very important to understand and very powerful thing to consider for us. They're giving a, given a part, uh, an opportunity to take part in something uh, that the God of the universe is doing. He doesn't need them, right? Moses could go up on the top of the mountain and God says, here's everything you need. I'm going to make sure it's at the bottom of the uh, of the of the uh, of the mountain, and uh, you guys can just start doing all these things. No, God is including them. He's inviting them to take part in in the worship. It's it's a it's a healthy thing. When we see here in verse eight, it says, "And let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." You see the picture of Christ there. That he, that, and he became a man and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14, right? He dwelt among us, right? Think about it. That I may come and dwell among them. The desire for the Lord uh, to be with his people. And uh, like I said, I, I already said it before, but when we get to 36, you're going to see the response from this. And it's such a blessing. Uh, and it's such a, it's one of those things where you look at it and go, no kidding. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. <clears throat> I'll do a spoiler. They gave so much out of willing hearts that Moses had to tell them enough, stop. <laughs> right. That's what happens. Everybody's bringing all this purple, all this blue, all these things. And they're like, we're getting overwhelmed, Moses. They come to Moses and Moses is like, no kidding. All right. We got to tell the people to stop. I mean, that, that's an amazing thing uh, to consider in and of itself. Uh, verses 10 through 22, uh, we're going to see uh, the Lord starts talking about the, the actual tabernacle, like what, what's going to be in it uh, and uh, you know, what, what needs to be built and everything. So the first thing mentioned is the Ark of the Testimony or Ark of the Covenant, your Bible might say so this is a, a sign of the covenant that God uh, made with Israel uh, as a sign uh, he had them build this chest this this box uh, and it's the most sacred sacred object within the tabernacle and it would be put in uh, to what's termed as the holy of holies in the tabernacle and later on uh, into the temple when it's built in Jerusalem. So it's placed in the innermost parts of these in the holy, holy of holies. So uh, verse 10 says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Uh, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. 
Uh, so when we look at that, uh, uh, three, uh, three feet, nine inches, almost four feet long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches tall, um, this, uh, this arc, this chest that is uh, to be built here. Verse 11, and you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out and out. You shall overlay it and uh, shall make it uh, on a molding of gold, all, uh, make on it a uh, molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and uh, put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings uh, on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles in the rings on the sides of the ark and the ark uh, that the ark may be carried by them. Verse 15, the poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall never be taken from it. Very important to realize that. And you shall uh, put you shall uh, put into the ark of the testimony, which I will give you. So God will uh, explain things as they, they go on. Uh, and, uh, and so we'll understand for the purposes of what we're talking about, the Ten Commandments, the jars of manna, and we'll go on and, and uh, we'll see this all developing uh, later. Verse 13 says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two uh, and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall uh, make two uh, cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the uh, the ends of the mercy at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and the other cherub on the at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat and the cherubim. So shall stretch out their wings above covering the mercy seat. Uh, with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and uh, in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And uh, there will be, uh, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything uh, which I will give uh, you in commandment uh, to the children of Israel. So this Ark of the Testimony, we talked about the size of it. It was to be made of acacia wood and then overlaid with pure gold on the inside and outside. Um, the molding of gold was uh, to be uh, all around it. I've ever worked with molding before. I don't recommend it. It's not fun, but this is, you know, totally different. But uh, uh, carpenters, Alex, the carpenter, uh, you know, doing something like crown molding. I remember when Jen wanted uh, this chair rail in our in our living room, in our kitchen. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I could give it a shot and everything. Halfway through, I'm like, babe, I had no idea what I was getting into. I'm not good at carpentry. This is finished carpentry. This is like what the good carpenters do. You know, the very skilled people. And I'm trying to do it all myself, that molding. So these guys are told, you know, with this, this, and then she wants, uh, then she wanted the, the crown molding. And this, I don't know how many years it's been. I still don't have the crown molding up. I have no motivation to do it. So we just painted up to there, okay? So, but considering the molding, 
of gold all around. Then they're to have four rings of gold, one on each corner, two on each side for carrying. And the poles were also to be of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. Uh, so those poles are supposed to be put in there. So anytime this ark, this chest was to be moved, it was to be moved by priests on either ends of the poles to pick it up and carry it. That's what they're. That's how they're supposed to do that. It's it's to be because if you remember, and I said, hey, it's very important to remember uh, in verse fifteen, the poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Okay, uh, so they're supposed to be put in there and not taken out. If you were to look at Second Samuel six and First Corinthians, uh, sorry, First Chronicles fifteen and sixteen, uh, you'll see what happens when the children of Israel tried to move that by putting it on a cart. And, and carrying it. Ask Uzzah if he'd want to go back and do it again, right? It didn't turn out well for him, right? And, and David gets mad at the Lord over it all. David, go look in the mirror. You didn't move it as God prescribed. That was the problem. Uzzah, whether he had good intentions or not, uh, they were moving. They were, what they were doing was not in obedience to the word. Then David consulted the Lord. <laughs> then they're like, Wait a minute, we tried to move that on a cart. We need to put poles in there, right? So that when you consider when God says he wants something done in a, a specific way, it's for a reason. And, and, and it's, it's not that we can just start you know, editing and doing whatever we want with things. God said when this thing moves, the poles are supposed to stay in there for a reason. They're not to touch the ark. That's it. And, and when we consider what the ark represents, right, when, when the Lord himself says, uh, you know, when he's saying to, to make the cherubim and that God, when he comes to visit them, he says in verse 22, and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. And we're going to get into this a little bit deeper here uh, from between the two cherubim. It's a, a symbol. It's a repre it's a representation of uh, the presence of. And, and, and what it is to be in God's presence. So he's saying, no, you can't, you can't do things uh, outside of the order that God prescribes. You have to do it according to his own, um, his own uh, prescribed methods. Now he introduces the mercy seat, which would be the lid for this. Made of pure gold. I've heard people say that this may have weighed up to 750 pounds. Just the lid of it. Okay, if it's pure gold, inch thick. That's 750 pounds, depending on the weights and all that stuff. Whether it was that much or not, it's still going to be massive and it's going to be heavy. Because the, the thing's overlaid inward uh, on the inside and the outside. And then you got the whole mercy seat on the top just covered. So this mercy seat. Now understand uh, the Hebrew word for this. Uh, you can uh, it means to cover, to appease, to cleanse, uh, to cancel, make atonement or propitiation for. Right. So we uh, we're going to we're going to start if we're not familiar, we're going to start to see what this mercy seat means and why it would be such a big deal if someone's reaching out and touching it. OK, as a sinner. Consider what Paul wrote and when he understood what the mercy house, mercy house, mercy seat meant a Romans chapter three, verses 24 and 25 says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth, well, I just said the word propitiation, right? Jesus Christ, whom God has uh, set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance, 
God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Jesus Christ was the propitiation for our sins. The mercy seat. You know, when we consider for a Christian, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The propitiation, right? Verse, uh, uh, 1 John 4, uh, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The mercy seat. Where do we obtain mercy? From God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. God is merciful. He loves us. And when we stand in Christ, we, we have obtained that grace and mercy in our lives. So this mercy seat pointed to uh, the removal of sins as prescribed by God. So what, what, what we see here as it develops and what it symbolizes uh, and uh, the innocent dying for the sinful. Now the priest would uh, sprinkle blood of a sacrificed animal onto the mercy seat to appease the wrath and anger of God it, 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 uh, for you know, our past sins that we've committed. So uh, consider what the mercy seat is. You know, if, if you start considering the gospel and how important this mercy seat is and, and who it symbolizes and what it symbolizes. The mercy seat, you know, was symbolic, uh, a symbolic uh, foreshadowing. <clears throat> Excuse me. A symbolic foreshadowing of um, the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ dying uh, on the cross for the remission of our sins. Not for his sins, for our sins. That the blood of the innocent animal, right? The innocent, the spotless one. That animal didn't do anything wrong, right? But it happens to be spotless, brought in, slaughtered, the blood sprinkled onto the mercy seat. Just as there was uh, you know, only one uh, atonement for sin in the mercy seat, what is that a picture of? There's only one way for us to obtain uh, you know, an, an atonement since we uh, are looking at the New Testament. When we're looking at the world and, and, and the Lord through the New Testament lens that we're given, and we understand looking back in the Old Testament, one mercy seat. And that was where they would go. The priest would go, and uh, you're, you're going to be familiar uh, with this. And uh, Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, uh, is, is established. And uh, when we consider what the Lord uh, prescribed there. So there, there's one. And you know when we would consider Christ as a propitiation and the atonement for our sin, uh, we have to realize what he was doing right, and what he did and, and what that meant for us. Um, Leviticus 16, uh, so I, I, there's a, uh, the explanation. And uh, so I'm going to read a few verses spread out from Leviticus 16, verses 2 through 4 say, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, <coughs> which is on the ark, lest he die. <coughs> For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of the young of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen 
the holy linen tunic <coughs> and the linen trousers on his body. <coughs> he shall be girded <coughs> with a linen sash and with the linen turban uh, he shall be attired. These are holy, <coughs> holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. The prescription of even the high priest was to wash his body, to wear <coughs> linen, where it wouldn't even let him uh, sweat. You know, that, that, that it was supposed to be very, <coughs> very uh, light for him. The linen sash. Verse 12 says, Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands <coughs> full of sweet incense, uh, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. So after he's wearing what God told him to wear, he's supposed to get uh, this, uh, this amount of uh, coals from the fire and bring them inside the veil, that veil that separated, right? So uh, the, uh, the separation of God and man. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. Verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the, uh, for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle meeting which remains among them in the midst of the un, of their uncleanness. Verse 17, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement uh, in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. So when we're understanding this mercy seat, and, and how it pertains to what's happening here. That mercy seat to be brought into the Holy of Holies. And Aaron, the high priest, had to put on the priestly garb. He had to get um, the coals from the fire. And he had to bring them in. And, and when he'd uh, create the, the smoke that's in there, that that smoke would uh, go in and, and um, cover the mercy seat of the testimony, lest he die. Like God is doing that to protect Aaron as he's going in there. And then he's supposed to uh, to go in and uh, and then offer the sacrifices. And he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he'd sprinkle it onto the mercy seat. This is a very important uh, portion and an article of worship uh, that's that's being established here. So God is giving them very um, uh, distinct details, and it's made to be in the innermost place. Uh, in, in the tabernacle, and then, as I said, it would go into the temple uh, when it was finished in Jerusalem. So that's the Lord's explaining uh, what it starts off with the Ark of the Covenant. So then we look at uh, the table for showbread in uh, verses 23 through 30. It says, You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width and a cubit uh, and a half its height, and you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make it, uh, uh, make for it a frame of a hand breadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding uh, for the frame all around, and you shall make it, make for it four rings of gold that, uh, and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs 
The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles uh, to bear uh, the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the uh, table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, uh, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Uh, so here's the command uh, of the Lord that as uh, you're making these things, um, he he needs to they need to make them in a very uh, specific way. So as commanded by God, it must be obeyed by Moses and the leaders. Um, and they are to uh, create this as God says. So the bread um, of uh, was to symbolize God's presence uh, being with them. If you consider Jesus Christ said in uh, John chapter 6, verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who uh, comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. That, that bread was a symbol. It was supposed to always be present there. Now, you may think back to 1 Samuel 21, David's on the run, right? And he shows up, and uh, the priest is like, I don't have anything to give you. but and, and they're like, hey, can we eat the showbread, right? So consider, and they were allowed to. And it, so so this showbread that was was to be brought uh, was, was only for them and uh, to be offered uh, in, in front of the Lord. And But when we consider that David was given special permission, so... Uh, we're going to move through some of these uh, fairly quick. Uh, we'll see how they come up later on as we're studying through, uh, but we don't really have the time. We would be in these chapters for weeks uh, just looking at, okay, let's talk about the showbread. Let's talk about this table. Let's talk about those things. But we understand God is is putting them uh, these things here. Remember all the verses we talked about, that they're, they're representations of what Moses was shown when we, he was in the presence of the Lord, right? Uh, verses 31 through 40 uh, are speaking of the golden lampstand. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered wood, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornaments, its knobs, and, sh and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand on one out of one side and three branches uh, of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls uh, shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch and uh, with the an ornamental knob on the on a flower and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an uh, with an ornamental knob and a flower and so for six branches uh, that. Uh, come out of the lampstands. Verse 34 says, uh, On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower, and uh, they shall uh, be a knob, there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches. Uh, that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs uh, and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be uh, uh, one hammered piece of pure gold. So all of this is made from one piece of gold, hammered in, in, and formed here. You shall make seven lamps for it. So you've got the one in the middle and then three on each side, right? 
And they shall arrange its lamps so that uh, they shall give light uh, in front of it. And its wick trimmers and uh, their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of gold with all uh, with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. So there's the pattern. Moses saw these things, and these things were to be created here. You know, you consider the almond tree the first uh, to blossom and bear fruit in, in uh, the springtime. The symbolism of the lampstand, it's made in one piece. Six branches, um, you know, consider uh, six as the number of man, three on each side. Uh, and then when you consider there's three on uh, each side, and then there's one in the middle, right? Man is never complete. Right without that one in the middle, without uh, without Christ. John uh, chapter fifteen verse five, Christ said, uh, "I am the vine; you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bear, will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing." You know, so it's pretty pretty interesting things that that can um, pictured here. Right, you got three on each side of the one that's in the middle. You know, they were uh, the priests were uh, responsible for attending to this. It shouldn't run out of oil, uh, and uh, they were supposed to be lit. That's how they lit the temple was was um, with this uh, golden lampstand, and and they were uh, to to tend to it. The light was not supposed to go out, and uh, so an interesting thing if you get into a study in the lampstands, Revelation chapter one verse twenty says the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. Are the se uh, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So the symbolism that that can uh, we're, what we're seeing starting to to unravel. Right? Um, had another uh, conversation even this past Sunday after church, just talking with somebody, um, talking about the Old Testament. And uh, and how excited they were about you know the what the Old Testament has to offer us. And you guys know where I'm at with the Old Testament. I mean, for for you know, I'll be very brief with this. But for somebody to suggest that yeah, we should literally church leaders saying we should unhitch from the Old Testament is so wrong. <laughs> it's unbiblical. Christ was. Uh, you know, quoting the Old Testament. Uh, so were the apostles when they were writing, right? That the Old Testament is being referenced, right? We can't, because then what do you have to reference, right? Oh, so so silly for some someone to think that those things no longer apply. So here the Lord is giving very clear, concise, and specific instructions of how things will be made to be made right according to the pattern which you saw on the mountain so god is establishing um beginning to establish the conditions of of worship and uh, many of these things have great symbolism uh within them uh and uh, what we can see like, like we talked about the mercy seat uh and even the bread you know so we we consider uh what these things can symbolize and and what the tabernacle itself means Right and and uh, the detail and we're going to go through the next two chapters are going to really dive into even more detail and then the chapters following that is okay what does a priestly priestly robe look like so there's a lot of instruction coming up here it's a little bit harder to like get drawn into 
Um, but if, if, if you understand this stuff is in here for a reason uh, and uh, the symbolism that's in there, and if you go, okay, if Christ is all through the Old Testament and you start looking and you're like, oh, that I would dwell with them. Christ you know, dwelt with us. Wait a minute, you know, in a tent, you know, our body's considered a tent, right? So there's a lot there, you know, when, when we're uh, considering even uh, reading some of these uh, as we're going through. So uh, next week we'll pick up in uh, chapter 26, and, and uh, um, my plan is to get us through at least those two chapters, 26 and 27, um, but we'll keep rolling into 28 if we have more time. But we'll, uh, we'll move through those. So let's pray. Father, we are um, so grateful for your mercy to understand, uh, you know, and, and not that we fully do, but where we see something like a tabernacle that you might dwell, your desire to dwell with your children. Lord, that you would have them create what's called a mercy seat. And knowing that the blood of the innocent would be spread and sprinkled onto this mercy seat. Lord, we see pictures of redemption. We see pictures of salvation being offered. The propitiation. The atonement. Such powerful pictures here. What these things mean, what they symbolize. Because Moses is just doing and being told to be uh, making in accordance for what he saw. Oh Lord, what a wonderful thing for us to consider. Lord, it's so wonderful for us to look at the few uh, the verses in, the, in the, the beginning of this chapter and realize that you desire willing hearts to serve you. We don't want us to serve you and to seek after you. Um, because we have to, but because we want to. You want our hearts to, to want to worship you. We're so blessed by that. If our hearts aren't in that, that condition right now, we pray that you would do your amazing work in them. Bring us to that point where we're willingly offering you the praise of our lips, the praise of our lives, and whatever you call us to give, our time, money, talents, whatever it is. That we would not hold on to anything. But you would be number one in our lives. And that everything else would be used to bless you and uh, to bring you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.